I realize in the world that we live in, every Sunday morning we could have something that we need to pray for, um, but I, I feel like this is one of those Sundays we need to start with a time of prayer, so uh, let's pray. God, we call out to you on behalf of our world, behalf of our nation. Uh, it has been uh, a, a, another difficult week to watch the news, to scroll through Twitter, um, we know that for your purposes, many of which we don't fully comprehend yet, evil has a measure of freedom in the world that we live in. Evil is not completely restrained by you. One day it will be, but right now it is not. And so we have weeks like this where there are, are mail bombs, where uh, the level of of Hate and animosity seems to go to another temperature. And God, we pray uh, for our country. We pray against this spirit and attitude of, of hatred and desire to destroy that seems to be festering and growing in our nation. And we pray for your peace. We pray for your grace. We pray for Jesus' redeeming ability even in these circumstances. God, our hearts are broken today uh, for what happened at the synagogue in Pittsburgh yesterday. Those who lost their lives just coming together for a significant uh, spiritual moment in their life, personal moment in their life. And God, we lift up their families to you. Uh, we thank you for law enforcement who responds in these seasons. Uh, God, we... We lift up the family of the Gwinnett officer that we said goodbye to this week as well. That's heavy on our hearts today. And God, we lift up uh, the Tree of Life Synagogue there in Pittsburgh. We pray that even through this awful, terrible event that people's hearts would be turned to Jesus, that they would know that He is our hope and our light and our salvation and we ask, God, for your peace and your comfort and your grace in our nation. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying the life of Elijah this month, and we've seen a boldness and a courage on his part that is often hard to find, uh, a boldness that confronted evil leaders that spoke truth to leadership when it needed to be spoken, who took a stand for what was right. And yet, at the same time, in this strong, courageous, bold person, we realize that he has weaknesses just like all of us, that emotionally there was a time, a dark place in his life where he struggled spiritually and relationally and, and emotionally, and he walked through the valley of discouragement and, and depression even, and as we looked at that time in his life last week, right at the end of that season, before he had come all the way out of that, that period of his life, God said to him, you, you've got to get back to work. You, you've got to get back in there. You, you've got to move back towards your purpose and your calling in life. And then God went beyond that and gave Elijah a checklist. 
Here are three ways you could get started. One, two, three. Checklist people in the house. Uh, we get things done when we have a checklist, right? We're, we're more motivated, especially when, when we're, uh, we're not sure what to do next. You just come back to the checklist. All right, I'm going to do this next. Well, God gives Elijah a checklist. One, two, three. Here are some specific things you can do to help you get healthier and move through this dark period of your life, get back to your calling. The last thing on the list is what God mentions in 1 Kings 19, verse 16. He gives number one, number two, and then number three is this, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So that was the third item on the checklist. You're to go find this guy named Elisha, and, and, and you start... You're to start mentoring him. You're to start pouring into his life. You're to invest in him because eventually he's going to be your replacement. So this is how it happens in verse 19, 1 Kings 19, 19. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So here's Elijah struggling still with disappointment, struggling with discouragement, and he goes and finds Elisha. Here's the thing about discouragement. Discouragement primarily focuses on what's happening now. It's, it's centered in what I'm currently disappointed in, what I'm currently struggling with. I'm discouraged in the now for all the things that have happened, and now I'm at this spot in our life. Discouragement has a way of getting us focused on now, today, what's right in front of me. And that's one of the significant reasons God says to Elijah, what will help you is if you invest in the future. If you invest in someone who is going to carry on your work into the future. If you invest in someone who has the potential to make a difference in the future, Elijah, invest in the future. And God says the same to us. Not just when we're discouraged, but especially when we're discouraged. Don't, don't get so focused on right now and forget there are things you could do today that will have impact on tomorrow. Now, one of the challenges with investing in the future is we don't know what the future is going to be like. Uh, we don't have a time machine. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't see into the future. So there's a lot of things about the future we don't know. Uh, we don't know what the economy is going to be like in the future. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't you, that be great to know what stock to invest in? Like, you know the economic future. That would be fantastic. We don't know what the economic future is going to be. We, we don't know what technology is going to be like in the future. We don't know what cars are going to be like. You know, when's that whole self-driving car going to, going to be everywhere? We don't have any idea what that is going to be. We don't know who the next president is going to be, right? We, 
Ten years ago, we had no idea that a reality TV star was going to be the president, right? You, you have no clue who the next president is going to be. There's so many things about the future you and I don't know. But there's one thing we know. There are going to be people in the future. There's always going to be people in the future. Now, I know robots are going to take over, but they're going to need us to do the jobs the robots don't want to do. So there's still going to be people, even when the robots take over, there's always going to be people in the future. And so if you and I want to invest in the future, the clearest way to do that is to invest in people. One of the best ways to get out of my own discouragement is to give into the life of someone else. If I want to get out of this period of discouragement in my life, one of the best ways to do that is to give into the life of someone that's coming behind me. Someone that is potentially going to lead in the future. Someone who is eventually maybe going to take responsibility away from me, eventually going to step into my shoes or step into leadership somewhere out there. One of the best ways to get out of my discouragement is to pour into the life of someone else. I mentioned discouragement is all about now, and I'm not saying that's in a negative way. I'm just saying that it is. Discouragement is all about how I'm looking at my current situation Discouragement is also primarily about me. It's what I'm discouraged with, what I'm upset by. And when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, it's understandable that there's a season of focusing on you. We talked about that last week. I mean, Elijah spent a period of time trying to get himself healthy, trying to get himself in a better place. That's needed. That's necessary. But at some point, as we're progressing through discouragement, trying to come out on the other side healthier, the lens of my life has to move away from my situation and my discouragement and my anger and my frustration, and it has to start to point outwards towards other people if I really want to get healthy again. I can't stay consumed with now and consumed with me If I want to get emotionally and spiritually and relationally healthy again. So God comes to Elijah. And he reminds Elijah that he needs to spend his life on things that will outlive him. This season that you're in is going to be short-lived. Eventually it's going to pass. I want you to begin investing in the people who are going to outlive you, not just your needs, not just what you see immediately, but how do you start to pour into How do you take your experiences and help somebody who's coming behind you? How do you take your successes and your failures and begin to pour those into somebody that's coming behind you? Because long after this season of discouragement has ended, long after these problems have passed, There's going to be somebody coming behind us who needs what you and I have learned in this life. This particular person I mentioned, Elisha, is eventually going to replace Elijah. And the reality is we're all replaceable and we will all be replaced one day. Sometimes we say that first part, oh, we're all replaceable. You know, we're all replaceable. That's true, but it's more than that. You will be replaced someday. I will be replaced someday. It's not a matter of if. 
It's a matter of when. Someday, somebody's going to fill your job title, and they're going to fill your role, and they're going to fill your job, and they're going to sit at your desk. You've probably said it before. If you disappear today, somebody else would be doing your job tomorrow. They would find a way for things to keep going without you and without me. We're all replaceable. We're all going to be replaced. They're going to reprint business cards that look exactly like yours with somebody else's name on it. That's the way it works. We're all replaceable. We're all going to be replaced. Somebody is going to live in your house one day. The house that you're in right now. Somebody else that you don't even know is going to live in that house. That's the way life works. We're all replaceable. We're all going to be replaced. So why not embrace the fact that there are people coming behind us, younger than us, farther down the career chain than us, farther down the spiritual chain, as far as their spiritual maturity, they're coming along behind us, and they need us to turn and invest in them. Because the thing that is most going to outlive us is what we leave in other people. The thing that's going to most outlive us, the thing that's going to carry on after we're, gone, after we're gone, is what you and I invest in somebody else that's coming behind us. It's going to last a lot longer than the money that you leave is going to last. It's going to last a lot longer than the inheritance that you're going to leave your kids. They're going to spend it fast, especially if you're leaving as little as I am for my kids. It's going to be gone. It's not going to last very long. The trophies and the accomplishments and the plaques on the wall. People are going to forget all about it. What's going to outlive us the most is what we give into the life of somebody else. What we teach from our experiences, our successors, successes, our failures. One of, the, one of the best ways that you and I can live out our calling is to help somebody else discover their calling. I think that's one of the things God is saying to Elijah. Like, you've stood for me. You've been bold. You've been courageous. Now, here's a missing piece. It's time to include in your calling and purposes helping somebody else discover their callings and their purposes. The Bible, the Old Testament especially, has several examples of leadership succession um, Moses and Joshua come to mind. Moses is the leader initially. Children of, uh, the Hebrew children come out of Egypt. And then Moses is going to pass away. And so for years he's pouring into Joshua. He's getting Joshua prepared. He's getting Joshua ready to step into that role. So there's a smooth transition. We see it in the life of King David and his son King Solomon. As David is getting ready to hand over the throne... He goes to his son. He has conversations with his son. Here's some things I've learned. Here's some things you're going to want to do. Here's some potential pitfalls that you're going to want to avoid. This turning and bringing along those who are coming behind us. In the Bible, where this succession is most successful is when the preparation is accelerated because the present leader participates in this preparation. The, the preparation for the new role is accelerated. It's more effective 
Because the present leader says, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm not going to just hope that they figure it out someday. I'm not going to just hope that my successor figures, figures it. I'm not going to just hope that my kids figure things out. I'm going to participate in helping them mature and get to the place that they need to be. And to be as healthy as they need to be. Now, in that process, the leader gets healthier. Elijah gets healthier because he participates in the mentoring and the developing of the person who is coming behind him. We have some people who do this organizationally. They have whole ministries committed to this. I mention them from time to time. Pam Parrish and Connection Homes is one of them. Uh, Pam has an incredible network of ministry that's branching out over the state and branching out over the nation eventually where she connects kids, young adults who have aged out of foster care with mentoring families. Not to solve all their problems, not to take full responsibility for them, but to begin to mentor young adults who don't have a support structure. They've aged out of the foster care system. They did not have a support structure at that time. And so these families begin to pour into these young adults. Uh, Four Winds, Michael Giddens, another ministry we're familiar with. Michael's in our church. Same thing, young adults who have aged out of foster care, or some of them, young adults living on the street. No support structure, no direction, no way to figure life out, and Four Winds steps in and provides housing for them, connects them with a job, helps them to become self-sustaining and and self-supportive. We we have some members of our church who work with Path Project. They look at things at the other end of the spectrum with elementary and and younger age kids, ministering to them, helping them get through school, communicating between parents and teachers where there's a language barrier. And some some of our members, Sherry Shearer, Bailey Johnson, they're a part of these ministries. Organizationally, systemically, Pouring into those who are coming behind. You can be a part of those ministries, but you don't just have to be a part of it organizationally in order to do this. You can look around you and ask yourself, who are the people that I should currently be pouring into? Now, a couple of cautions. Elisha was part of Elijah's therapy. In other words, he was helping him get better. But Elisha wasn't Elijah's therapist. When we're looking to help people, especially younger than us, especially people coming along behind us, and and maybe all of us don't need this, but I felt like it needed to be said. When when we're discouraged, it can be tempting to try to find somebody to dump all my baggage on. And so we find somebody younger or down the food chain from us in the organization or spiritually not as mature. And, and we say that we're wanting to mentor them or help them when really we want them to be our therapist and listen to all of our baggage. That, that's not what this relationship is supposed to be. And that was not the relationship that Elijah had with Elisha. Yes, it was going to help him. It was going to mature him. It was going to strengthen him. But it wasn't. Elisha's place to be the therapist for Elijah. Another another caution. The goal of investing in someone is not to turn them into me. It's not to try to get them to be just like me. It's to help them discover who they're supposed to be. How can I come alongside you and help you discover the purposes and callings that God's put in your life? 
How can I take my experiences, my background, offer what I've experienced, so then you get to discover how God has made you and created you? They, they don't even have to know everything about my life. Most of my life is really boring. And people that I might invest in or spend time with, they don't care about a lot of the details of my life. My relationship with them is not to get them to appreciate me or to respect me or to think that I'm great. It's not to form an image of me in their mind. It's to ask, how can I take what I've been through and just offer some direction to you? Offer some encouragement to you. Offer some hope to you. Offer some cautions to you. It's not my job to turn them into me. It's also not my job to fix everything about them. You can't fix anybody else. Have you ever tried this? You, you can't fix anybody else. It's not my job to fix everything about the person that I'm investing in. Andy Stanley has a great line. I've heard him say it many times. It's, it's the line, my job is not to fill their cup. My job is to empty my cup. In other words, my role is, is not to be the end-all, be-all source of all of their needs and to fix everything that's going on in them. I can't fill up anybody else's cup. Your cup's a little different than my cup. Our cups are all different. Our life experiences are all different. Our needs are all different. I can't take responsibility for filling up every need that another person has. What I can do is say, this is my life and my experiences and my strengths and weaknesses. Let me offer something from my life that might help some part of your life. I have to be comfortable with that as a pastor, as, as a preacher. Uh, on Sunday mornings, <clears throat> I can't give everybody every little thing that they need in the message. I can't say everything that every person here, I can't fill up all the cups that are here. What I can do is take my experience and, and, my, and, and my prayer with God and my studying, and I say, let me, let me empty what God's put in me this week. It's not going to fill everybody's cup, but it's going to allow me to empty my cup. It's going to allow me to say some things that maybe some of you need. Many of you... Um, I know listen to online pastors as well, and, and, and you, you frequently tell me how much you love a certain online pastor and listen to them their podcast every week and post their quotes online, even though you don't ever post my quotes online. But I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I'm fine with that. I, I really am, because I can't fill everybody's cup. I can't meet everybody's specific need. And so, yes, you're supposed to read the Bible for yourself. Not just listen to me talk about it. And you're supposed to pray for yourself. Not just listen when I pray. You're supposed to read Christian authors that challenge you and help you grow. And yes, there's probably some, some other pastors other than me that preach pretty good sermons. And, and you would get something out of some of those as well. It's nobody's job to fill your cup. It's our job to empty our cup and then to ask, who else, what other voice do I need to be listening to? How can I keep growing? What else do I need in my heart and my soul in order to be the person that God wants me to be? Usually, to do that, all it takes is time. That's all it takes. 
<clears throat> to invest in somebody else, to empty your cup, to share your experiences, all it takes is time. It just takes being with somebody. And I say all it takes as if that's a small thing, and we all know it's not. When it comes to time, it's not a small thing. Time is one of our most valuable, if not the most valuable asset that any of us have. And I can prove it to you. You will pay money if it saves you time, won't you? Now, you'll pay 20 bucks if it saves you an hour. You'll write a check. You'll swipe your card if it's a little bit more convenient. We will pay for more time. And I'm not saying that's wrong. That's the world that we live in. But when it comes to influencing somebody else, investing in somebody else, sharing your spiritual life with somebody else, it takes time. And you're going to be investing that time in someone younger than you. Someone who probably doesn't see the world the way you see it. Somebody who speaks a language that you don't speak. And I don't mean French or German. I mean teenager. College student. Right? They speak a language you don't speak. Someone who is not as mature in the faith yet. And so they don't have all the words down. They don't have all the language down. Investing in other people takes time. I can tell you this too. It is easier to criticize an entire generation than it is to invest in one member of that generation. It's much easier to talk about the millennials than it is to find a 20-something who maybe has potential or just maybe needs some encouragement or maybe needs some direction or maybe they don't have an authority figure in their life. They just need somebody. It's a lot easier to criticize the millennials than to find one person who's 25 and have lunch with them. It's a lot easier to talk about those teenagers. Am I right? Those teenagers. It's a lot easier to talk about those teenagers these days than to find a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old who needs someone that they can look up to who will speak into their life. It's a lot easier to talk about young people these days. Right? It, it's a lot easier to generalize about millions of people than to have a conversation with one person from that group. But that's the calling on our life. When we look at Elijah investing into Elisha, we see someone who is willing to take time and his experiences and his successes and fail. And he was okay with having somebody around, having somebody there. Let me tell you one reason you should do this if you're older like I am. One reason you should do this. There is an energy and an enthusiasm in younger generations where fatigue is setting in as we get older. We're getting tired, aren't we? We're a little bit jaded. We're a little bit cynical. And I could pull up your social media post if I need to. We just are. We're just getting a little crotchety. 
You, you don't know what fixes that? Is to be around somebody younger than you that still has a zest for life, an energy, a hope. They still believe what the Bible says about Jesus and about power and about what God might do in their generation. You want something that will fire you up. Lead a small group on Wednesday nights in our student ministry. Invest in a teenager. Invest in a college student. Invest in a 20-something. If you're my age, invest in a 30-year-old who's trying to figure out direction and career and what should I do and I'm praying about this. Because I tell you, they will have an enthusiasm and an energy that some of us are starting to lose. I, I see it in the life of Elijah. He comes along. He puts his cloak on Elisha, which was symbolic for passing the torch. You're going to be the next guy, and I want you to go with me right now until it's time for you to be the next guy. And Elisha says, can I go back and kiss my mom and dad goodbye? Because I'm ready. Like I'm ready to leave town. I am with you. Can I just go back and say bye to my parents? And Elijah says, go back. What have I done to you? Which I I don't want to misinterpret this, but it kind of feels like Elijah saying, whatever. Doesn't it feel that way? Like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let me go pack my bag. You do you, man. Like, I don't know. Whatever you want to do. I'll just wait here till you get back. It just sounds like Elijah's out of gas. He's just done. And Elisha runs back, tells his mom and dad, and kills the oxen, and burns the yoke and grills all the steak and they have this big huge party because Elijah is so pumped that he gets to go do this. Elijah needed that right then. He's been discouraged. He's been down. And he's got this kid now who's reminding him there was a time when you would have left everything and followed God, Elijah. Remember that time? Remember that time you really believed that God had a future for you? You were really hopeful about what was going to happen in you. You were idealistic. And most of what you were idealistic about was wrong, but at least you were idealistic. You were pumped up and, and, and filled with enthusiasm. We need those reminders as we get older. And one of the best ways to have that reminder in our life is to pour into somebody that's younger than us. Because they still believe stuff. They're still hopeful about things. They still believe that God's at work in their life. We need that in our hearts as we get older. Elijah's ministry continues. and Elijah's sort of in the background, and, and, and Elijah's still doing crazy, bold things, and, and fire's still coming down from heaven. There's a couple more incidents of just crazy, bold, miracle things that are happening in the life of Elijah, and Elisha's watching the whole thing. We get to 2 Kings chapter 2, and it's the day that Elijah is, is going to leave the earth, and, and somehow everybody knows it. Elisha knows it. There's 50 prophets in 2 Kings 2, and they keep saying, hey, Elisha, you know this is the day. And Elisha keeps saying, I know, this is the day. Shut up. And so everybody knows. I don't know how they know, but everybody knows. And then at at one point, Elijah and Elisha walk off on their own. And Elijah takes his coat, and he strikes the Jordan River, and it divides. And they walk across on dry land, just the two of them. And and, And it's the moment... Before Elijah, Elijah's life is going to be over. 
And he turns to Elisha and he says, what can I do for you? Last question. This is our last conversation. What can I do for you? And you can read it, 2 Kings uh, 2, 7 through 9. Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And this is Elijah's response. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And, and I don't want to make it too contemporary language, but, but I think what he's saying is, I want what you have. I want what I've seen in your life, Elijah. If you can leave me anything. I don't want money, I don't want inheritance, I, but I want a double portion. Some people think this is referencing the oldest son got a double inherit, a double portion from the father, so they see that link. I want a double portion, not, not of cattle, not of land. I don't want any of that. I don't want any of your stuff. I, I, I want what I've seen inside of you. I want that in me. I want to be bold like you. I want the Spirit of God alive in me. Like, he, like I've seen Him alive in you. I want to be like you. What, what a great thing to have said about you on your last day. Or your next to last day. Or a year before your last or Or 50 years before your last day. If somebody said to you, what I would want is to be like you. Not like be like Mike, like, like the way you love Jesus, like the way you are committed to the things of God, the boldness that I've seen, the courage that I've seen in you, the belief, the faith to follow Jesus that I've seen in you. And we're not talking to somebody that just casually knew Elijah. They've been walking together for a long time now. I'm not talking about somebody that just knows you on Sunday or just knows me on Sunday. How awesome would it be to have people who know us, have walked with us, have seen us go through life, and their request at the end is, I, wanna, I want what you have. I want the spirit that you have. You don't have to raise your hand. This is, this is, this is evaluation. Anybody saying that about you right now? Is anybody, I have to ask myself, Anybody say that to, I want to be like you. I want to follow Jesus like you. And beyond following Jesus. So anybody who looks at us and <clears throat> because of our attitude, because of the, the things we say, because of uh, the encouragement that we bring to situations, because we walk in the room and, and, and a positive spirit walks in with us versus a negative critical Spirits, anybody who looks at us and says, I want to be like that. I want to be like you. Anybody look at our marriage? I know marriage is hard. It's full of ups and downs. And today could be a good day or a bad day if you're married. I totally get it. Over the long haul, though, don't, don't you want your kids, don't you want other people who are around your marriage one day to say, I would like that. Right? Hashtag relationship goals. I would like that. I want my marriage to be like what I've seen there. Your parenting, your, your perspective, your, your wisdom. What a, what a great thing to have said about us. Elisha looked at Elijah and said, I want what you have. 
fiery chariot swoops down, according to 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah gets in and literally leaves in a blaze of glory, right? Just out of here, fiery chariot, up to heaven. Never physically dies, according to the Bible. Elisha picks up his cloak, starts to walk back. He hits the Jordan River and it divides, walks across on dry land, and the purposes and callings of God continue in the next generation, which is a challenge for us. It's for something, something for us to think about and pray about. We know God's always at work, but will God's purposes and callings be carried out in the next generation because of how we influence that generation, because of how we lived and what we taught them and how we encouraged them so that we're, when we're out of here, they pick up the coat and the ministry and purposes of God keep going forward. God, I pray you would help us to live, not just for now, not just for ourselves, but God, you would help us to live for your future and your futures in the hearts of people. It's in the ministry and purposes and callings that you place on people. And so help us, even in our most discouraged times, help us not to forget that we gotta, we got to turn We've got to pour into those who are coming behind us. Can't fill up their cup. We can empty ours. We can't fix everything about them. We can just encourage and mentor. Because the future is going to be people. There was a man. His name was Elijah. And he lived so much for you that at the end of his life, somebody said, I want what you have. And James said he was a person just like us. He didn't have any supernatural abilities that we don't have. He's a person just like us who prayed. And so help us to pray for ourselves and for the generations coming behind us that we would walk in the calling of God. I pray it in his name. Amen.